A big fall in oil inventories in the US last week, but that wasn't enough to stop oil prices falling now at a five-month low. In fact, WTI prices now start with a six. But lower energy prices, the assumption that the Fed won't lift rates, I mean, that's not helping US equities. So there's a lot of caution around what you'd assume is largely good news. So what is going on? Is it because we know lower inflation comes at the expense of much lower growth? Or is everyone just uber cautious about the US non-farm payrolls tomorrow? It's Thursday, the 7th of December, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, oil is getting lower by the day, a 4.1% drop in WTI. It's below 70 now. It did get down to 69.11. Brent is down 3.7% and below $75 a barrel. A slight fall in the US dollar, a very small rise in the Aussie. It's up to 65.5 US cents. The euro down 0.3%, so is the pound. And bond yields are lower, down four basis points for 10-year treasuries, down eight for 10-year gilts, down five in Germany, six in France. Aussie 10 years were down 13 basis points yesterday to 4.28%. Now on futures, another five basis points lower than that, back to levels that we were at at late September. And equities are still struggling. The S&P is down 0.4% at close. The Nasdaq 0.6% lower, 0.2% off the Dow. They've been dragged down by energy stocks, which are down 1.6%. IT is also well down, although in Europe, the Euro Stocks 50 is up 0.7%. So is the DAX at close. The FTSE 100 is up 0.3%. Uh, NAB's Ray Atrill is with me today. So Brent crude, since September, it has fallen almost 25%, Ray. And even though we had quite a fall in inventories in the US overnight, down 4.6 million barrels last week, that wasn't enough to stop the fall today. So this has been going on for one. Now, this can't all be concerns over OPEC Plus, can it? Well, Morning, Phil. The oil market is, is one of the most speculative markets around. So sometimes there's no fundamental rhyme nor reason for some of the volatility that we're seeing. But, there, you know, as you say, there's been some pretty strong and trending moves for a while now. I mean, trying to sort of catch up on any overnight news specifics, I can't find anything other than, you know, to say that there's a market that is increasingly sceptical that the production cuts that were announced by um, OPEC Plus last week will be enough to offset uh, rising supply for, from countries outside the OPEC region. And uh, um, and so you know, supply and demand, I think that's my glib answer for them. Right. The so they must be expecting demand and, uh, in that case is, yeah, demand in that case, they must be expecting is going to fall quite a bit then. Right. Well, we you know we certainly know that, um, you know, certain part, we know that uh, from a European point of view, you know, the economy is still flat mm-hmm. on its back there. Um, from the US, you know, US, we know that um, all the indicators are that growth in the current quarter is going to be very much less than it was in uh, uh, you know, in, in the third quarter, and and you know, indications are that, that China's recovery is still a spluttering one. So, from that point of view, you can say there's nothing particularly positive coming through on the demand side just at the moment. Yeah, and yet the strange thing is, you know, we're saying demand's going to be low in Europe. European equities are doing okay; they're strong today, uh, and uh, the US is, you know, d- just struggling to get into the green. Yes, well, you know, in that sense, you know, let's remember, and one of the big fears going into the Northern Hemisphere winter was that the risks of another energy price shock, um, you know, that could deal another blow to the to the you know, Eurozone recovery prospects. And, you know, in that sense, you know, weaker energy prices are a bit of a boon. So it's what we call a, a favourable terms of trade shock as far as uh, oil and energy importing countries are concerned. And it's, uh, if anything, you know, falling oil prices now are, are a net negative for the US, you know, which is a net energy exporter. So, so in that sense, the moves that we're seeing in equity 
policies uh, would be consistent with that. Not that I'm saying that's the that's the uh, be all and end all of, of the volatility that we're seeing in stock prices. Right. Okay. Well, jobs are going to be pretty important, aren't they, for the the rest of this week? We had the ADP numbers in the US that showed 103,000 private sector jobs were added in November. That's a little less than October, a little less than expected as well. Uh, interestingly, the gains, it seems, were dis- disproportionately skewed to smaller companies. Uh, their chief economist is saying moderate high hiring and wage growth is expected in 2024. So this is, this is the trend. So steady she goes, basically. Hmm. Although, you know, from what I've been reading, that the, you know, the wage claim data in there is suggesting that uh, wages growth is at its lowest level since 2021. So, um, yeah, yeah. Five point six percent. Exactly. Five point six percent. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, that's moderate, though, isn't it? For that, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's leveling off where it was in twenty twenty one. So, five point six percent for job stayers, eight point three percent for job changes. Mm-hmm. So, actually, that premium for switching jobs is mm-hmm. the smallest in three years as right. well. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, it's coming down anyway. Interesting. But but as ever, we should not give the ADP report too much oxygen because as a lead indicator of what we might get tomorrow night with the payrolls numbers, and I'm reminded that. Um, the, the difference between what ADP have printed and the private sector non-farm payrolls, the miss has been as much as 337,000 on the downside and 348,000 on the upside just this year alone. So um, this isn't going to dislodge anybody's expectations for um, tomorrow's payroll numbers, which is expected to be in the sort of mid to high uh, 100s. But I actually think that, um, you know, without preempting a, a preview there, we'll be probably more interested in whether the unemployment rate has, has ticked ticked up further, given we have gone from 3.4 to 3.9, which has theoretically triggered that so-called SAM rule that is uh, historically a reliable indicator of US recession. So the European shares, I mean, that might, as well as, you know, the fact that oil prices are coming down, so maybe that's that's good for inflation. Uh, I mean, we also, of course, had Isabel Schnabel. We talked about that yesterday, uh, just changing, completely changing tune in terms of where the ECB would be going next. I wonder whether that's still playing into the markets, because the only bit of data, European data we had, was German factory orders, which fell 3.7% in the month of October, mainly down to a 7.6% fall in foreign orders. But again, you know, that's weakness in the economy. That would just add more fuel to the fact that the ECB... Uh, is going to be cutting next year. And I think we've got 150 basis points of cuts now uh, priced in starting as early as March, taking the rate down to 2.5% by the end of the year. So why why is Europe leading the charge so, or expected to lead the charge Well, I think it, quite so much? I, I mean, I think it is because, you know, and then going back to the Schnabel comments, which obviously you covered off yesterday, um, you know, the, 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 the biggest ECB hawk has become a dove because the facts have changed because inflation has come down, you know, so so quickly and, and certainly relative to anybody's sort of wildest dreams, if you like, and that's been feeding the rally that we've been seeing at both ends of the uh, of the eurozone yield curve, at least, and and I guess those factory orders numbers are say minus seven point minus seven point six percent for foreign orders. So um, you know, ostensibly, it says that uh, you know what Germany's making, the rest of the world isn't buying at the moment, and that's been a bit of a sort of structural issue as to whether you know that the sort of you know, undeniable strength of, of and desire of the rest of the world to buy German cars or whatever it is that uh, you know these numbers are certainly thumbing their nose somewhat at that, aren't they? But it does play to the view that, um, you know, the German economy is still in a in a world of pain. And if inflation is still coming down, then yes, ECB rate cuts are on the cards. But, um, you know, certainly our view is that 150 basis points next year, more than is currently priced for the Fed, you know, is too strong. And, um, you know, would be surprised if there's more than 100 basis points coming through next year. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if those expectations uh, do move a little higher at some point. But um, 
you know, as ever, they will, the data will determine whether or not they do shift. But um, And then sort of just looking at the, just sort of switching gears a little bit, I mean, just going back to oil a little bit, um, you know, we're seeing bond yields not, you know, falling further. So we've got, what, five-month lows for 10-year treasury yields overnight, then another, what, four or five basis points, and directly related to the oil price slump, you know, disaggregating that, um, you know, break-even, so sort of inflation expectations as measured by the bond market. You know, have come down by um, by four basis points. So this is very much a uh, you know an inflation expectations driven uh, rally that we're seeing, an extension of the bond market rally. It's all good news, isn't it? You know, you can't feeling good when everyone's expecting that inflation is is down, uh, but we could do without the the slowdown which seems to be happening along with it. And on that, on the home front, so growth slowing in Australia, we saw evidence of that in the uh, Q3 GDP yesterday, just 0.2 percent. Q on Q, 2.1% year on year, and it's not really expected to get any better in Q4, is it? But, uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, the quarter on quarter number at 0.2 was well below. I think after those various partial indicators, um, the consensus had crept up from 0.4 to 0.5, although notably in year on year terms, growth was 2.1%, which was actually in line with expectations. So you clearly got some sort of back revisions at play there. And um, Tappers put together a chart uh, yesterday to show us that uh, if you look at Australia versus mo- many other parts of the developed world and, you know, the levels of GDP that have been achieved, you know, since the, before the pandemic, um, you know, Australia actually fares very, very well on an international comparison. So, uh, um, you know, in that sense, the numbers weren't that bad. But, you know, household consumption was flat on the quarter. You know, one of the key messages that you know, is that the consumers are only sort of maintaining the levels of, of spending that they are in, in, in real terms. But in nominal terms, it was up 1.4 because they're drawing down on savings. So the net savings ratio in Q3 at 1.1% was the lowest that we've seen almost in decades. So, um, you know, that's telling a story of, of, of you know, the struggles that, that households are having to maintain levels of, uh, of, of spending in real terms, let alone sort of increasing them. And I think the other big takeaway there was that, um, you know, looking at sort of measures of productivity, but there was still, you know, very strong rises in prices and, and labor costs reported in the quarter. And even though there was a measured rise in productivity because the number of hours worked had fallen, um, it was up 0.8% on the quarter, which which might have the RBA clutching at straws saying, hey, look, productivity is going up. It was still down more than 2% uh, on a year-on-year basis. So the idea that 4% wages growth in the economy is fine as long as productivity is growing at at least 1%. There's scant evidence that, that that is yet occurring, at least on a trend right. base. So that combined with, as you say, you know, the consumer still managing to find money to not actually change their consumption behavior too much. I mean, but put both of those together. I mean, that just adds to this idea that the RBA will be grazing in February, doesn't it? Well, we're probably becoming a bit of a scratch record here saying that we still think yeah, that, no, uh, but we're not higher believe higher, this. But, but I think on these numbers, <laughs> I mean, the reason that I think the, one of the reasons that the market didn't react negatively as far as the currency was concerned or yeah. that the rates market rallied, I think, was because as soon as you scratch below the surface saying, you know, there's nothing here that will provide any sort of comfort for the RBA that, um, you know, that, that the battle against inflation is, is necessarily being won at the prevailing level of the cash rate. So uh, there's certainly nothing here to dissuade us from the view that, um, you know, the RBA still needs to do a little bit more. But obviously, it's going to be those Q4 inflation numbers that we get in January that I think is going to be the ultimate arbiter of whether or not they do move. Well, the Bank of Canada, they came, they held 
Uh, they went away again. They did what was expected. It seems unlikely that they're going to raise rates again uh, this time around. They said, in fact, the latest data suggests the economy is no longer in excess demand. So that sounds like a central bank saying we're not going to do anymore, although they also had the caveat that they would raise the policy further if it was needed. Uh, but not much reaction to that, perhaps because they didn't really say very much. Well, that's right. It looks like a classic Bob each way, doesn't it, from the from the central yeah, bank there. But, uh, so the tightening bias is still there. And, uh, you know, let's see if the Fed repeats that mantra. You know, it does seem that uh, central banks everywhere are just not willing to to formally sound the all clear, um, you know, which would just further fuel, you know, this easing in financial conditions that we're seeing everywhere as markets get more and yep. more comfortable with the notion of uh, – central banks starting to, to ease rates perhaps not too far into 2024. Well, very quickly, let's go through some of the numbers we're getting today. So, Did I say raise rates? Of course I meant cut rates. Yeah, cut rates. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. We'll edit that out. No, we won't. You said it. Uh, the uh, <laughs> Australia's October trade numbers are out this morning. Uh, last time exports fell, of course, but we had a strong growth in imports. In fact, up 7.5% in October. So do we know what to expect today? Well, we've got a, um, a slightly higher than consensus view. Anyway. So we've got a slight improvement on what was in our trend base. This was a, on the low side of trend previously. So uh, we've picked $8.5 billion as the trade uh, surplus. So I was uh, remind people that the, the trade uh, surplus or deficit is the difference between two very large numbers. So the potential for numbers that are several billion dollars away from expectations is always pretty uh, always pretty strong. The market's $7.5 billion there. So um, I don't think that's of particular market interest. More interest, I think, probably in China's numbers, and which are more up to date there for November, the uh, Australian. Australian ones are for, uh, for only for October. Um, and there yeah. we'll be, we'll be and the October number, the big fall in exports last time, 6.4% in October. Right. They fell. Yes, yes. Although we know there are some sort of, there's some price effects there, which were evident in the GDP numbers effectively, which is, uh, you know, one of the reasons the net exports was, were the drag that they were basically in the uh, GDP numbers. But um, in the China numbers, you know, we're really looking um, you know, hopefully not with, uh, well, I say hopefully for some signs of an improvement in both import and export growth in annual terms. So uh, consensus, from what I can see, is export growth getting back to, to flat on year-on-year terms, but that's off a minus 6.4% October read and import growth um, creeping up from 3% last time to 39 So those sorts of numbers, but, uh, well, if if... You know, if if imports are growing, well, I'd say from the German factory orders numbers, is they're not uh, the demand isn't coming from Germany, is it? No. Well, and speaking of that, we're going because we get quite a bit of uh, European data today. We get the second estimate uh, for the uh, euro area growth rate, but also. We do get industrial production numbers for Italy and Germany. We get France's trade data, Italy's retail sales as well. So a whole bunch of euro data. So we can add that to the general softening of the European economy. Uh, And the weekly jobless numbers, the jobless claims in the US uh, before, of course, the big number, non-farm payrolls tomorrow. Now, there could be quite a market response to that, couldn't there, given that, you know, there seems to be so much resting on it this time around. No, I think there will be. But, uh, you know, but the claims numbers today are are more relevant to next month's numbers, the way that... uh, so all the uh, the non-farm payroll modelers do use the, the jobless claims numbers, but um, you know, the numbers that we get today, I say, will be more relevant to the December numbers than January. But we have had that tick up in claims. We were 218K, so it does, does look like the trend is starting to edge higher. And if we get a number 
close to the consensus of 220k mm. today. That would certainly corroborate that view. Well, they are very recent numbers, aren't they, from last week or the week before, as opposed to uh, the non-farm payrolls numbers, yes. which are from the month after the month before last month. Uh, so a little bit out of date. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on all of that. Good to talk, Ray. We'll catch you again a couple of times, I think, before uh, we hit Christmas. That's it from me. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. 